Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Steph and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast and today I'm getting straight to it. We are talking about sex. Specifically, I'm talking with Dr. Karen Gurney, aka The Sex Doctor, about sex in long-term relationships. Now look, I don't know how much sex everyone else is having, but I do know that when I get to go with my friends, possibly after we've partaken in some wine, the conversation will turn to sex and generally uh, people are a bit less bothered than we used to be, but there's always someone who'll say, oh, I always enjoy it once I'm doing it. I always think we should do this more often, Um, but they don't. And why don't we want to do it more, I guess, is one of the big questions. Dr. Karen explains that female desire is nothing like the spontaneous desire that we see in the movies. In fact, she says it is normal to never feel like sex out of the blue ever in a long-term relationship. And she's on a mission to explain how desire works and the consequences of it are quite staggering when you think about the impact that this and sex has on relationships. So we talk about that, we talk about the mental load, we talk about the impact that having children has on our sex lives, about feeling awkward with your partner when you haven't done it for ages, um, and how to get back to it. She has some really simple tips um, and it's, she puts it in a really succinct way so I just think she's brilliant um, we also talk about our inability to talk about sex although I seem to have loosened up in this episode so I apologise to Doug and all our family members who possibly don't want to hear me talking about our sex life but hey um, she also answers some listener questions at the end where you will hear a small amount of drilling it's not a lot but just to let you know just ignore that And I could make a gag about sex and drilling, but I'm not going to. Um, This episode is sponsored by sexual happiness company Love Honey, who are the UK's most popular online shop for buying adult toys and lingerie discreetly. So a massive thank you to them for supporting this episode. And I'm grateful to anyone for any support um, of the podcast. Please share the episode if you enjoy it, rate and review. And honestly, I don't want to over egg the pudding, um, so to speak. But I think this conversation could just revolutionise your sex life. Oh, it's so nice to see you. And you. I was thinking, so when we met, it was at Helen Thorne's book launch. It was. And I think it was Nat Lee 
said, yeah. oh, this is Karen, you know, the sex doctor. And I, for some reason, I wasn't following you. And I was like, no, no, the sex doctor, what? I love that for some reason. I know, well, because, <laughs> because all of that lot of friends of mine and they all were like, That's how true. do you not know? But <laughs> I then, without knowing any of your background, apart from that it was sex, apart from knowing any of your specialism, immediately, I think probably within about 30 seconds said, I'm just not interested in sex. And you were like, well, you've come to the right place <laughs> because your specialist subject is all around female desire, right? It is. I mean, I love all of it. I love anything to do with sex and sex research, but I'm so, so interested in desire. The title of your TEDx talk was The Surprising Truth About Desire and How to Future-Proof Your Sex Life. And also, you've kind of said it's a bit of a mission of yours to get this out because I have to say, like having read your book, listened to the podcast and all that, and obviously watch the TED talk. It's really simple concept about desire that you explain that is completely mm. missing from my vocabulary around sex. But also I would say everybody I know. I've since like obviously researching and stuff, I've then chatting to people going, Did you did you know this? Because mm. every one of them I know, every woman I know, is kind of beating herself up that she's Absolutely. just not interested in sex. So go on, hit me with your mission about desire. So just to kind of go back to what you were saying, it, it is absolutely the case that I don't think there's any area of our sex lives where there is such a gross misconception mm. about how something should work other than desire. And the irony is that concerns about desire are the number one reason why people come and see someone like me for sex therapy. Mm -hmm. And also we know that a third of women in the UK are concerned that they don't have enough desire. So we're talking a really big problem in people's minds, something that people are constantly seeking help for, but yet nobody really knows how it should work, how it does work, mm. how to make changes to it, how to get it featuring as much as you like. And I was just, my mind is blown by this because I am there seeing couple after couple in sex therapy, can't handle the demand for people worrying about the fact that they're not as interested in sex. But it just so happens that women in relationships with men tend to have lower sexual satisfaction than women having sex with other women, for okay. example. So women having sex with other women have the same issues around desire that we're about to talk about in a second, mm -hmm. but they also have the advantage of having a bit less predictability, a bit more variety, and a, possibly a partner who's not necessarily experiencing things very differently than them. Mm -hmm. So I see plenty of women who have sex with women also about concerns about desire. It's definitely not a straight women's problem, but sexual satisfaction in long-term relationships is definitely something that affects women having sex with men more. Right. So okay. the book is for women of all sexualities, but I'm really passionate about the fact that there are simple things that everyone could do with knowing that people just don't know about how desire works, about what extinguishes it, what fans the flames of it. And they're often not the things that people think. And that's why I wrote the book. And that's why I did the TED Talk and why I love talking about it. The biggest thing that you say is that our learning about desire and what we see all the time in every film, movie, uh, TV show, everything is about this spontaneous sex that is the shirt ripping passion, the up against the fridge, all that stuff. And you basically say that that is not happening <laughs> anywhere. 
Yeah, so let's dive into it because mm. um, perhaps that will help put some meat on the bones of it as well. So yeah, we, we know that when we have a new sexual partner, we tend to experience higher levels of spontaneous desire. Yeah. And that isn't exactly out of the blue because there are plenty of things going on which put desire at the forefront of our minds. So for example, lots of flirting, lots of touching, lots of eye gazing, lots of kind of intense emotional intimacy, lots of date nights that are just about the two of you mm. kind of forgetting the world, mm. uh, lots of physical touch. So at the beginning of a relationship, we know that spontaneous desire for people of all genders is fairly high. So people think about sex and they have lots and lots of triggers to make them think about sex. So you get a text from that person. You're looking forward to a date that evening and you're thinking, oh, we might have sex tonight. And in your mind, you're mentally preparing for that sex. Mm. Does that make sense? And it's so exciting, that bit. It's so exciting. <laughs> and it's important to think about what that person represents in your mind at the start of a relationship. So anyone that's listening who's in a long-term relationship will be able to really connect with this. Mm. This is the version of them that doesn't not put the bins out. This is the version of them that doesn't like put their toenail clippings on the sofa. Oh. <laughs> this is a version of them which is always at their best, which is always engaging, which is listening to you intently, mm. which is being romantic, which is being spontaneous, who you've not yet seen the kind of annoying sides of yeah. yet. These are all of the reasons why at the start of a relationship, spontaneous desire is high, high for people of all genders. What then happens is that about a year in, a year and a half in, we can't be too specific, but we know things change around that time. There tends to be a big drop in spontaneous desire. This happens again for people of all genders, but we know that it's easier for men to hold on to more spontaneous desire. And perhaps we'll talk about why later on. Mm -hmm. So we know that for women particularly, Experiencing a drop in spontaneous desire, and I can't stress this enough, is completely normal in a long-term relationship. What that means is it's normal to never feel like sex out of the blue ever in a long-term relationship. It's not a sexual problem. It's not a problem with your desire. It's how desire functions after you've been with someone a period of time. It's really common for women to feel that they're broken and also to... I've seen plenty of women who've drawn parallels with this and said, well, it must be me because this hasn't happened in every long-term relationship that I've been in. Mm -hmm. I felt like sex at the beginning and then I'm just not interested. And I'm like, well, the pattern mm -hmm. is the long-term relationship, not necessarily anything. Um, as much as we all try and conform to monogamy, it's not really that well suited to humans in terms of our sexual interests. So there are plenty of reasons why that happens. It's super important because... Of course, there's variety between women and we have plenty of women who do experience higher levels of spontaneous desire and continue to in a long-term relationship. But there was a large-scale piece of research which showed us that actually a significant majority of women, when asked, how often do you feel like sex out of the blue, said either never mm -hmm. or very, very rarely. And sometimes that's connected to menstrual cycles as well for people not on hormonal contraception. So sometimes people were noticing maybe once a month, mm -hmm. maybe around ovulation or just when their period started, they might notice feeling a bit of spontaneous desire. So this is important because what generally happens when people aren't experiencing spontaneous desire is they think, what's this about? 
what's wrong with me? I've lost my libido. What's wrong with our relationship? I no longer want to have sex with them. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, because I love them. And it's a good relationship. And there isn't any reasons why I just don't feel like it. And once that happens, people then start responding to their partner in a slightly different way. So if their partner perhaps, you know, comes up to them and gives them a bit of a kiss, their brain goes into alarm mode, like, <gasps> like what are they after? Because I'm not feeling like sex. Mm -hmm. So I'll close this down before it goes anywhere. You had, a, I think it was an example where you talked about this like hypervigilance. So if they're yes. coming on to you, there was a couple who she would jump in the shower on a Saturday morning because Saturday morning is when he tended to try it on or they were going to have sex. And she'd jump yes. in the shower before he got the chance to touch her because she panicked that she doesn't want to have sex or she thinks I'm That's not right. in the right mood. So I need to get out of that really quickly. And I just really recognize that as something that because you're not in the mood, if they are then a bit touchy or whatever, you're kind of like, oh, well, I don't want to lead them on. I don't want to give the wrong impression because as soon as I touch them back, that then they think we're going to have sex. And then yes. I, I can't do that or I'm not in the right mood or I'm tired or whatever else. And yes. again, I think that's something that loads of people would recognize lots of people and so lots of people say to me I go to bed at a different time yeah, yeah. I make sure I wear certain things to bed which give a signal <laughs> like a that it's not going belt. there yeah. <laughs> and what we start to see then is a reduction in what I call sexual currency mm. so we start to have less physical affection less sexual intimacy less flirting less kissing less of all of the things that we kind of need to trigger desire so that brings us on to well if it's normal for people to not feel desire out of the blue in a long-term relationship very often, then that's depressing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we all doing? And maybe we should just all have open relationships or not get married or not settle down at all. And of course that works for plenty of people. But the thing is, is that when we measure a different type of desire, when we measure desire which responds to triggers. So what I mean by that is, if you think about watching a good sex scene on TV, mm -hmm. Does watching that sex scene make you feel a little bit turned on, you know, make you think about sex, make you feel a bit more open to the idea of sex? When we measure that type of desire, which is called responsive or triggered desire, we find that women's desire works perfectly fine. So under those conditions, with something to trigger it, mm. all of those women who are worried about their desire actually have no problem with desire. So the problem isn't their desire. Their problem is that there aren't enough situations. There isn't enough stimuli, if you like, mm -hmm. to trigger it. And that, of course, is made worse when you're avoiding your partner's touch, when you're avoiding a kiss, when you're avoiding them saying you look hot today because you're thinking, oh, I know what they mean by that. And because you think that desire is meant to be spontaneous and you're not feeling spontaneously desireful, so then it's shutting it down. So it's going to yes, take it right back to your whole concept really messes with the whole pattern of trying to have sex. Yeah, because what you actually need is the opposite. Mm. What you need is all of the stuff we talked about that we have at the beginning of the relationship, which of course we can't maintain at that level and we wouldn't want to because we'd be... <laughs> that couple. <laughs> intolerable, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, if people kind of think about their relationship right now, anyone that's listening who's in a regular relationship... And you think, well, how often actually do we really like connect with each other, have a bit of a laugh together, 
really listen and feel quite intimate emotionally or how much of the day are we actually just operating side by side mm-hmm. getting stuff done and not really even making eye contact mm-hmm. and just going through the motions how much do we passionately kiss you know for a couple of seconds at a time when it's not part of sex that's mm-hmm. something that falls off the agenda for a lot of couples quite early on kissing becomes um a signal a passionate kiss instead of being a passionate kiss that's got no pressure attached to it like yeah. it was at the beginning that yeah. could trigger desire becomes a signal that someone wants sex someone's yes. initiating sex and that feels like it's pressure and we go oh no 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 this yeah. is not the thing i want yeah. so passionate kissing like that emotional intimacy the flirting the all of that stuff which i call sexual currency it's that that we need more of mm. that's the kind of stuff that really fans fans the flames of desire well and just having read the book and i was talking to doug about it and we're trying to make an effort this is not i'm okay my parents my kids don't want to know about this but we're trying to make an effort (laughs) because you find yourself giving a peck on the cheek like a mum does to their Mm. child and it slips into that and we've been married for i think nearly 15 years so it's the peck on the cheek or even just the right see you later as they go out the door there's no interaction at all which my young self of us that when we met would be horrified by to yes. see that you so you have to almost do it in order to then want to do it more yeah so a culture change is needed for yeah. a lot of us and what's great is that culture changes can always happen mm-hmm. even if we've been in a routine of doing things differently for some time and That's partly why I'm so passionate about this topic, because actually, once you understand how desire works, you then have the option to go, actually, there are plenty of things, very small things that we can do that will shift this culture and will make desire something which features much more often in our sex life. And do we want to do that or actually do we not? And we're just happy enough to know we're not broken and we'll just keep going as we are. Why is sex? Because you talk about sex being important in long-term relationships. And Mm -hmm. I think probably there could be couples who've been together to go, well, it's not that important anymore. It doesn't matter. But you do explain why it is important. Obviously, there are plenty of people and there are are people who are quite happy not to have sex as part of their relationship. Mm -hmm. And there are also people who are asexual who are quite happy to either not have sex or not have much sex with another person. But for the majority of people, sexual satisfaction is important for long-term relationship satisfaction. So it only works one directionally this. So relationship satisfaction doesn't mean you're gonna have good sexual satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So I see a ton of couples for therapy who have brilliant relationships, but aren't that happy with their sex life. So it doesn't work that way, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You can have great relationship satisfaction not affecting sexual satisfaction at all but the other way around it really does work so when sexual satisfaction is high it tends to bring with it great relationship satisfaction so we know that sexual satisfaction is really good for relationships it helps to keep relationships good over time it helps to meet people's kind of psychological needs of kind of feeling good about themselves We know it protects around things like low self-esteem for people. We know that it protects against infidelity if people are in monogamous relationships. There's much more chance of monogamy working if people are feeling sexually satisfied. It's really quite important. And 
I see couples in my work at lots of different phases of their relationship lives, you know, everything from being together a few months to many decades. Mm. And you can see sometimes where that gradual erosion of relationship satisfaction has happened over time as a result of a sex life that's fallen off track. Well, because I suppose if you, because we make that association with actually the spontaneity bit but even putting that to one side if you make the association with sex being the mark of a good relationship you do start to fall into that kind of housemates feeling which doesn't feel good like especially when you know if we're talking about lots of people who are in this rush hour we're not old we've got quite a way to go yeah hopefully so (laughs) so you kind of it's a quite depressing thought or just to go it's just become platonic and especially because you the comparison that you have is with that early bit where you're like we did have it we you know we know we can and the other thing is that I wanted to mention is that a lot of people will once they're doing it and once they've just done it will say oh, it's brilliant, we should do this more often. And you've said yeah. that you hear that so much, because then that's, that's what, the sitting around with my girlfriends, that is, that's the line that we all will say, that we are like, oh, we should do this more, but then we're tired or we don't, because we're waiting for that desire to spontaneously. Waiting for desire, which doesn't come, yeah. yeah. And that's a perfect indication of responsive desire. At the beginning, you were perhaps quite ambivalent yeah. about it, yeah. but actually desire kicks in somewhere in the process. And afterwards, you're like, oh my God, that's really good. Why don't we spend more time doing that? Mm. Um, and the responsive desire aspect of it, if more people knew about that, I wonder whether they might decide to run their sex lives run their relationships slightly differently Mm. because if people think about what sex brings for them and the meaning of sex in their lives and how they feel about themselves or the relationships when sex is good when it goes well there's actually not much like it for kind of feeling alive feeling connected to someone Mm. feeling kind of secure in a relationship feeling desired Um, feeling as though there's something that marks the two of you out as a couple which isn't about your roles as parents or your roles as housemates and those types of benefits for the relationship can be quite big yeah and I mean on to having children and what they do for your sex life (laughs) I think you gave a stat that people with kids under five have the lowest level of sexual satisfaction I mean it's it's not a it's not a surprise it's not a shocker is it no but again you can't because quite often that might be quite early into your relationship if you've had children relatively soon so again you're kind of thinking bloody hell it's is it is this it is it only downhill from now Yes. Yeah. So the the kids thing is a big one because I suppose this comes, if we just kind of go back to that idea of what desire is and what it isn't for a second. Mm. One of the things I didn't mention earlier was that we've been sold a bit of an idea that desire is a drive that's always within us. Mm-hmm. Libido, you know, it's either I've lost my libido or they've got high sex drive. People talk about it as though it's something which is just innate and present and there for us, regardless of what's happening in our lives. And actually desire isn't like that. Desire is something psychological where we are motivated to do something if we perceive that thing as being really rewarding. Okay, so if if we think the sex we're going to have is going to be great and there aren't other competing priorities, then we might be motivated to do it. Mm. 
Uh, and this is where the kids stuff comes in, because actually what happens when we have kids, especially if we've got kids at home under five, is that we have so many other competing priorities. Mm. Um, and because desire isn't an innate drive that's either there or isn't, because women are experiencing lower levels of spontaneous desire, then it stands to good reason that it would fall quite low down the priority list mm. for many of us. Because, you know, there's pat lunches to make and World Book Day yeah. outfits to think of and Let's not even get into the fact that women are carrying more of that kind of household admin well, burden. There's a line in your book, actually, which I've underlined. <laughs> <laughs> the connection of mental load and sex. Can I read it to you? Is that all yes, right? please do. So you've just said, studies have found that the more equitable the division of household tasks in relationships, the greater relationship and sexual satisfaction the couple usually report. Sadly, even in 2020, unequal gender politics translate to women in relationships with men carrying out the lion's share of the emotional and practical burden of the household tasks. That's so massive because, again, you're sitting there thinking, well, I've got no libido, I'm not that interested. But also then the distraction of the volume of stuff you've got to do and the resentment that might make you feel. And he's all right, he's there horny because he doesn't have this level of stuff that you've got going on in your head. Yeah. Like, that's huge, I think. It's huge. And... You know, as I mentioned there in the book, that, that that's the reason why couples with a more equal division of labor have better sex mm. is because it is such a distraction having those competing priorities. And so if we think about starting from a position of no spontaneous desire, but being open to the idea of sex, mm. okay, so we start from that position that we're not feeling it at this point, but we're feeling open to it. What then happens is there's a bit of a what we call a sexual stimuli. So say the passionate kiss comes in. Mm -hmm. And we start kissing, and that is a thing that will turn our bodies and our brains over into desire mode because it's a sexual stimuli, and our bodies respond to that. It's mm -hmm. kind of a and the old-fashioned part of our brain that we share with other anim animals. But what's also going on is that the thinking part of our brain is competing for attention with the sexual stimuli. So the kiss is ongoing, but our brain starts going, what else is there to do Fuck, tonight? I've got loads of stuff to do. <laughs> How many hours sleep am I going to yeah, get? Yeah, this could be 20 minutes where I could be sleeping. Or Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so the higher the mental load mm. in terms of those other competing priorities, the less likely it is that our desire will be triggered by that kiss. Mm. So sometimes the work that I'm doing with couples is helping them think about if one of them is always initiating sex when it's like, last thing at night and they're both completely knackered mm. and there's like hardly any time to get sleep and they've got little kids who are going to wake up in the night probably anyway mm. and they've got things on their mind for tomorrow it's it's not really a great time and sometimes the work I do with couples is helping them think about actually if you're going to prioritize time that might trigger desire which is absolutely the best way of doing it if you want sex to feature, you've got to make time to stoke that fire, if you like, mm -hmm. with no pressure for it to go anywhere. And that's the sexual currency that we've talked about. If you're going to do that, then don't do it at a time like that when everyone's tired. Or don't do it like after a meal when you're feeling really full and your brain's going, oh, my belly's massive and I feel like I'm going to burst. Yeah. You know, These aren't the best times. So that's why it's harder for people with young kids, because actually time is limited. It's such a shock as well, isn't it? Because almost overnight you've got a baby and the load especially probably on one of the couple is bigger 
as the primary mm -hmm. carer or whatever. And so it has a huge impact on the capacity you have for somebody else, which huge means you're, you're not going to have the, the headspace to even think about it. And almost it's more annoying if they're then being horny or whatever, because you're like, if you've got no yeah. idea, you're not relating to me at all in how I yeah, feel. Yeah, it feels like you're being misunderstood. Yeah, yeah and there's, there's so much about that kind of journey to parenthood as well that's important here because um, and I actually did a one of my online workshops is about this called how to not let kids ruin your sex life and it it kind of tracks um, the whole process from even from trying to conceive mm -hmm. and how things were in pregnancy because actually for a lot of couples the journey of trying to conceive or what happened to their sex life in pregnancy mm. can also really send them on a path. Yeah, yeah. So it might not even be about the kid coming along. It can be the journey to that, yep. which really affected their sex life. But then you've got that process of kind of, you know, the immediate bit postnatally and something that women just often don't really know, which is about the impact of breastfeeding on mm. desire. You know, mm. the hormones that keep breastfeeding going, as I'm sure you know, really sap desire. Mm. And just having all of those physical changes to your body and the impact of birth and recovery from birth. But even post that, even kind of like one year plus when hopefully people are getting a little bit of sleep, not everyone is, but most people are, just the journey that people have been on in parenthood, just the, as you say, the demands on people's time, just the increased mental load, the fatigue, Mm. All of those things really devastate people's sex lives, but they don't have to. And one of the things that I try and kind of get across in the workshop I've put together is you don't actually need to be having lots of sex to have a good sex life. Part of it is about understanding how desire works so that you can both feel relieved. <laughs> Look, this isn't about us. It's not about our relationship. We're in the eye of the storm. Yeah. And let's just batten down the hatches and get through it so our sex life isn't too affected by it and we can get it back on track later on kind yeah, of type thing. Yeah. Which is really reassuring um, in itself because you yeah. always hear of a friend who managed to keep going the whole way through and they, you know, or with somebody who doesn't feel affected by it and, the, and you kind of think, well, I'm the only one that has been affected by this and the, all the changes that have gone in and stuff. Um, yeah, and it's, it's much more common for people to struggle with their sex lives post-kids and yeah. we know that kind of... Once your kids are like, your youngest is a bit older than five, people start to have a little bit more capacity to think about that aspect of the relationship again. But where I come in then is saying, well, sometimes the trajectory has already been set by the years that have preceded that. And sometimes there's a bit of work that needs to happen to change that culture. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what I try to do with the book and with my online workshops is give people the tools to know how to change the culture because people shouldn't need to come and see me for sex therapy. You know, mm. some of these things are simple things that once you've learned about them, you can try and make small changes and see what difference it makes. Well, that's how I feel. Having read the book, I feel like I've got a completely different understanding of sex and desire to the point that I can then have that conversation with Doug. And he's like, I need to read that book, which, because that's the other thing. That's how great. do you get men to engage in this because I feel like it's something that women are more likely to engage in it because also it makes us feel better as initially it's yeah. like a, oh god it's not it's not my problem as such but I suppose you need for everyone to understand it because otherwise yeah. 
That's right. Anyone who has sex with women could do with reading it for that reason. And I get loads of messages from men, actually, loads of DMs saying, oh, my God, thank you, because I didn't understand it. So I didn't know what to do. And now I understand it. I know that I was going about everything completely wrong. And (laughs) just thinking about things like, well, when we talk about initiating sex, what do we actually mean? Mm. And not all initiation is created equal. And if your way of initiating sex is going, it's been ages, how about shag? (laughs) It's not really a trigger for anyone's desire. So Probably so common. (laughs) It's so common. It's so common. And of course it works for some people because, you know, they're, They've not got much on their mind and they're happy to go along with it knowing their desire will follow. Mm. It's not bad for everyone, but but often, you know, uh, partners will say to me, and, and it's just to be clear as well, it's also sometimes the other way around. Sometimes the male partner mm-hmm. who has lower levels mm-hmm. of kind of spontaneous desire and the female partner, if it's a straight couple, who has higher levels. So that's that's not unusual. We know about almost one in five men right. are concerned about their interest in sex and long-term relationships. So we wouldn't want them to feel unusual. Because yeah, of yeah, that. yeah. So the higher desire partner, you know, sometimes they are under the perception that, well, I'm initiating sex and they don't want it. So it's their problem. But let's really like break it down and look at, well, where is the mental load? Where is the time how much is there kind of a sense of emotional intimacy and connection in other areas of your life? Mm. How much sexual currency is there? What does the initiation look like? And is it sexy? Mm. How rewarding is the sex that you're having? Or is one of you having more pleasure than the other? Mm. You know, there's all there's all kinds of stuff to kind of look at and understand differently. And so, yes, I think the response that I tend to get about the book is women saying, it's like you've read my mind. <laughs> And it's changed everything about how I see it, which is great. But for men, it's I had no idea that I was going about everything in a way that was actually making it worse, not better. Mm. So I do think it's it's something that everyone needs to understand. And if you're someone who has higher levels of spontaneous desire, it's even more important that you understand it because it's the other side of the coin. So your understanding is different. You feel like sex. You think about sex often, perhaps, at this phase in your life. You might not in 10 years, but at the moment you do. Mm -hmm. So if your partner's experiencing it differently, then you kind of need to understand that if you want to navigate a good sex. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And you talk about communication. I mean, I know it's it's obvious, but... Like you say, people are having to come to you. And and what was interesting about what you said about getting people to communicate, once you sit them down and you kind of go through all this, you've said it, it's usually a few sessions and they're sorted, which I don't think yeah. there's many therapies where that's the case. You know, I'm thinking know. if you're working on yourself, whatever, it could go on for years. It frustrates me because, you know, this is the stuff that relationship breakups can sometimes be made from. A simple nugget of... A sex life that starts to go down a trajectory that isn't great, yeah. doesn't get spoken about, doesn't get resolved. And then years later, you've got one or both people feeling really unsatisfied. Perhaps it leads to a breakdown of a relationship. Perhaps it leads to infidelity in a monogamous relationship. And it doesn't need to. Mm. And that's the bit I find frustrating because there's so much that can be done. And I guess that's why I started my Instagram because I thought, how do I get the all of this stuff out to the masses? Yeah. Because... This isn't a sex therapy issue. It's a societal issue and how we understand desire and also how we understand how to run our sex lives because we treat our sex lives as if they should just magically be great without any investment or effort because we love that person. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't work for the majority of people. And we should treat our sex lives a bit like we treat our diet, mm -hmm. kind of with an awareness that if we pay it no effort, and we don't really intentionally think about our choices, then over time, we might not be as healthy as we might want to be. But I think that's something, again, that I read and was like, oh, my God, because if you had good sex with your partner, you expect for that to carry on without yeah. really doing anything about it. And as, yeah. exactly as you say, compared to nearly every other aspect of friendships, relationships, I don't know, work, you have to Exercise. put something in. Yeah. Mm. And yet we're kind of just expecting it to, to work. But the idea of prioritising it is something that you talk about, which makes a lot of sense. Like I think as a couple who have been together for quite a long time, we have... And, you know, I've got three children, I've got the business, so there's quite a lot going on. And for mm -hmm. me, we've kind of worked out that when we step away from that, and whether that's a night away or whatever, and hand over to the grandparents, we connect immediately and, and it's yeah. really good and we feel really good. And yes, we'll probably have sex and, and all those things. And that's quite reassuring as well because we go, oh, we are okay. It's just yeah. life that makes it really life. hard. Yeah, and that's I, and a it's great not, thing to realise, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and it's not yeah. realistic to go, oh, we'll just go away all the time. It's very nice. But I think that's really important because I know, I, again, I think 
people maybe feel like they shouldn't do that because again well it should just work we should be able to make this work so they don't prioritize each other so they don't go away or they don't try and get the kids off I mean even babysitting you know getting someone babysitting for the day you don't have to have sex in the evening it could no, be in the day it's actually sometimes the worst time yes. especially if you go out on a date and the pressure and you feel full it doesn't work does it I guess you know it's one of the things that I try and do in the how to not let kids renew sex life workshop is get people to really think about what function does sex serve in their relationship for Mm. them and for their partners and really understand that about each other Mm. because often there are kind of key psychological needs or key relational needs like for us as a couple that sex meets for us and we all have different ones and we have this idea that it's just about horniness and actually it sometimes is Mm. but often people want sex for different reasons it meets different needs for them like feeling connected like feeling alive like not feeling like a mother yes Uh, like feeling like a strong couple like having fun you know like trying to get pregnant whatever it might be there are different reasons we might be motivated to have sex and it can be really great to understand that about each other Because you actually don't need to be having a lot of sex to meet those needs. Mm. So, you know, you were mentioning earlier about how we can often fall into the habit of, you know, kind of peck on the cheek or shouting goodbye at each other. Yeah. Um, A simple change like turning a peck on the cheek into a, actually, we're going to have like a six second full on kiss before we say goodbye in the morning can really change how you see each other sexually. It can really give you that spring in your step when you go to work or whatever. It can make you feel desired. It can make you feel sexually connected. It can make you feel like a strong couple. A lot of the things that we want to get from sex for us and our relationship, we can actually get in other ways, mm. even when we don't have time to have sex or even when we've got a new baby and sex is like the last thing on our mind. So what I like to try and do with people is help them understand that for themselves and their partner and their relationship. And then try and find other ways to meet those needs as well as sex. Because I think that's a kind of skill we all kind of need as well as building sexual currency. It's about being able to feel our sex lives between us even when we're not having sex yeah well and also that's the key bit about the sexual currency that you talk about that it's not always a precursor to sex you need to have this conversation don't you you can't just start because if you just start doing a bit more bum groping and it probably that is like a precursor to them we're going to have sex yeah it looks like an initiation yes and that's not what we want no no. we want it to be a standalone (laughs) a standalone bit And, and actually you know What happens when I get people to kind of ban sex, any type of sex for a while and just turn their sexual currency right up? Mm -hmm. I get them to say, you know, frequent points in the day, send that text. I mean, it depends where people are starting from. Mm -hmm. If it's not comfortable, obviously we do that later on. But if people are comfortable to bring back passionate kissing, to be naked together, to send that text, do that bum grab, to give them that look, to say they look hot, all of those things that are sexual currency. Mm. When people dial that up, they start to see how easy that is a scaffold to kind of move to more when wanted, but actually how much that triggers their desire. Because that passionate kiss without pressure, it needs to go anywhere it does often trigger desire in the, you know, as long as your brain's not full of other things, Mm. as long as it's the right time. But because we're reducing all of that sexual currency, because it's only part of initiating sex. And then sometimes we're putting a stop to it. Yeah. We don't have any triggers for our desire. Yeah. 
And the other thing, I guess, and I don't know how much you see this in your clinic, but the the noise of, as well as you've got your mental load and all that stuff, but the noise and distraction of phones and smartphones. And you've mentioned eye contact. Like sometimes one of us will come in from wherever. We haven't seen each other all day and we were on mm. our phone and you kind of barely look up. And we've started to go, hang on, you haven't actually looked at me. You know, you have to almost call mm -hmm. it out. But it was mm -hmm. fun. I um, had a, <laughs> I recorded a conversation with my parents about sex because I wanted to put some bits into this. And then I somehow, oh my God, that's brilliant. Oh my God. I, I need to try and find it. I think I've bloody deleted it. But no. there was this bit. Oh, it was, it was one of the best things I've ever done. It was so interesting. And we had a gin and tonic to do it because it was a bit like, oh God, you know, my parents <laughs> in their 70s. And I don't, we never <laughs> talked about sex. But really interesting because one of the things they were saying I was like you know when you had small kids did you ever have sex did, you know because personally yeah. it's not something that was something I wanted to do when I had small kids and they were like dad was like well you know there were only four tv channels back then and, <laughs> and <it's> like, <laughs> you know if there was nothing on that we were like we might go to bed early and that might sometimes lead to sex and we oh. were giggling about it but I was thinking of course like there was so yeah. much less to do life was slower yeah, but and that kind of made me think about how much, you know, switching off your phone, not looking for another box set to watch, because the amount of sex people are having must have been impacted by the amount of box sets people, or, you know, not I said box set, like a yeah. little lady, but, you know, like series know and stuff that people are watching. Yeah, and, you know, we do know from sex research that the amount that we're having sex, certainly in Western societies, but probably worldwide, is going down each right. decade so right. we do know that there's a gradual decrease in the frequency of sex lives of people in the uk for example and that's the main hypothesis that it's the kind of constant distraction yeah and what's interesting when you think about things like smartphone usage and we're all guilty of it aren't we we all yeah. you know sit and scroll instead of sit and talk or yeah. whatever is that it's not just the distraction of the phone taking you away from your partner onto the screen so the lack of eye contact the focus onto the phone rather than them yeah and the break in intimacy or connection that that brings but it's also the psychological impact of your scrolling on where your attention is at as well so you know we talked earlier about your brain your thinking brain is always trying to push away the sexual kind of urges because it's got other things it wants to worry about or think about so if you've got lots of priorities or lots of worries it stops your body from sexually responding in the way you might like so if you're scrolling and you see an email from your boss going where's that report for tomorrow you know your anxiety then yeah. goes through the roof or if you're scrolling and you see someone on social media that you think oh they've they're living a better life than yeah, me and they look I actually great, feel a bit yeah I feel a bit crap yeah. or if you're looking at images of people's bodies and then comparing yourself mm. unfavor yourself unfavorably so there's like a two-step process where it takes you away from your partner yes but also it has a psychological impact on you so there are a couple of things that I think are good you know we talked about changing cultures earlier good practices to get into and um the Gottmans who are these kind of like relationship therapy gurus they have this concept of kind of rituals of connection, which basically means you change the culture of your relationship to have a short period every day where you really connect and find out how each other is, how was your day, look each other in the eye, you know, just a bit of physical contact, a handhold, uh, might be a kiss before you leave for work, but it's a ritual of connection that kind of anchors you together 
and gives you that space to really feel listened to and heard. And it doesn't have to be long, you know, it can be just a five or 10 minutes on the sofa after the kids have finally <laughs> gone to bed for the last time and no one's getting up to really look each other in the eye. No TV, no phones, just, mm. you know, what was your day like today and what felt, what what was great about it, but also what wasn't so great and how are you really it's so easy to not do that like I think that we find when we do have the a weekend away or a night away or whatever all this stuff comes out and it'll be really trivial stuff it could be like oh this guy at the coffee shop said x or there was this woman doing whatever it's just stuff that you might even end up talking more to your mates about or someone you see on the school run regularly because or work yeah. colleagues people you talk to all the time but you and your partner don't manage to have those conversations unless like exactly as you're saying I guess that you you make that time something that we did we used to go to bed as soon as we got the kids down because I guess one benefit of small kids unless you're having a nightmare with them they do tend to go to bed by seven half seven we've now got an 11 year old who kind of eats into the whole evening so god knows when (laughs) we're supposed to have sex but yeah that is a challenge we would go we would get the kids down and then we would take a bottle of like Prosecco to bed so it was that prioritizing each other and making a real effort and I'm not saying I have to get drunk to be with my husband but (laughs) if you don't have a problem with booze and if having a glass of something relaxes you and maybe some of your inhibitions or your anxiety or whatever just that relaxing that would always be a really nice way to reconnect and probably we would end up having sex but yeah. it was just going into our space in our room and making it about us, not the kids there. And Absolutely. If you can make a ritual of connection like that, even if it's once a fortnight, once a month, mm-hmm. if you want to do it every day, you can. But generally speaking, people have got stuff to do. But <laughs> Life to live, yeah. <laughs> life to live. But if you can make a time where you go, you know, tonight, once the kids are in bed, mm. let's go to bed, be together, talk about our day, with no pressure for that to go anywhere, I can guarantee if there's going to be a time where desire is triggered, it will be then. Mm. So making that time without any sense of this is about sex, but actually it's about emotional connection. It's about, if you can do it in bed, it's great because you've also got the physical touch and physical touch really is a stimuli for us. Mm. Like being naked with someone, physical touch really triggers desire. Mm. So making as many situations like that that are low pressure when we're not really tired, yeah. so when the kids are gone to bed is great, is a really good idea. And if I could get more people to do that and more people to be to passionately kiss and more people to understand desire, I can guarantee we'd be having much be right. greater sex as a nation than we are. And the whole scheduling thing, because again, that's something that I think I used to think, we would have that conversation but oh that's really sad if we have to go right on Saturday when the kids are smaller again like at half one they'll all be napping and but you kind of say that that's okay that's perfectly okay so I am totally in for scheduling Mm -hmm. but not in for scheduling sex okay so So scheduling sex tends to be the pressure that comes with that sometimes switches off desire so like a weekend away can feel quite pressurizing for some people Mm -hmm. But scheduling time where desire might be triggered is an absolute must. And if people aren't on board with this, what they should do is map out their week and their partner's week and have a look where the crossover is, where they've actually got time, Mm -hmm. where they'll be undisturbed and they're not asleep. And they'll find there's probably very little of the week where they actually have time together undisturbed. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so expecting to both spontaneously feel like sex mm. when you're probably also experiencing lower spontaneous desire at the same time when you have very little time together anyway undisturbed, it's it's impossible. Yeah. So if you don't find ways to schedule kind of prioritizing your sex life in whatever way that looks to see where the desire can be triggered, then actually you're just waiting to both feel like it at a magical time when there's no kids around and you're not tired. Mm, which is very, very unusual. Very unlikely. <laughs> yeah. So big fan of scheduling and scheduling. It has to be something which all parties are signed up to as not about scheduling mm. sex, mm. but let's just schedule all the sexual currency stuff, you know, let's schedule like a massage, kissing, no pressure, being naked together and talking about our day, mm. having the Prosecco in bed, whatever it might be, but mm. not necessarily sex. And you've talked about how we don't talk about sex enough. And we definitely didn't as kids, like it was sex education mm. was about not getting pregnant not catching stis it definitely wasn't mm -hmm. about pleasure or relationships right. and again it's really interesting i think you were talking it might have been on sophie ellis baxter's podcast and you were talking oh, yeah. about um talking to your kids about porn and yes. off the back of that i had a conversation with my 11 year old and uh -huh. i said to him can i um it was like an evening we were in the kitchen it was just me and him and i said can I just talk to you a little bit about um, sex and porn? And his face was brilliant. <laughs> he sort of lowered his head and was just like, we have to. And I was like, no, no, Pastor, I promised you I'm not going to embarrass you. And it was what was really useful is to use you as a way of saying it. So it wasn't just me right. saying it. I was like, I've been reading this book because I'm interviewing this person and saying like, she says it's really important to talk to kids about porn. And he, yeah. he hasn't got a smartphone. I know a couple of his friends have seen stuff. I don't know what he's seen. But I just basically said exactly as you said, which was that they're acting, that that isn't what yeah. it necessarily looks like. Sex is supposed to be enjoyable. Just a few things. I didn't, it didn't labour the point. And he was like, okay. And I said, the thing is, Buster, and we ended up having a conversation about mental health. Because uh -huh. I said, when we were kids, none of this stuff seemed to be talked about. Whereas we're much more aware of psychology and mental... I mean, I would have had no idea at 11 what psychology and mental health was. Yes. And I totally knew what I was talking yeah. about. And I just thought it was so interesting because actually he was quite receptive and I wouldn't have had that conversation if I'd not heard you. And then I was talking to Doug about it and we were like, I think it's little and often just making sure we keep that conversation open so yeah. you can ask us. But it was so Absolutely. useful to have you as that expert because I'm otherwise it's just your mum talking to you about sex no one wants that <laughs> I, I love that feel, feel free to use me whenever it's helpful I will, I I mean, will. <laughs> the, the key thing here is you know we're not raised to talk about sex comfortably and therefore talking about sex is hard yeah and do we want to replicate that for our own kids probably not because not being able to talk about sex is connected with lower sexual satisfaction kids that don't feel kind of well prepared for sex because they don't have great sex education tend to be kids that have sex earlier than they want to tend to be the kids that are more at risk of outcomes that they don't want like unexpected pregnancies tend to have sex more out of peer pressure than when they feel ready so the evidence is strong that good sex education which of course means talking to kids about sex mm. is good but for us it's not comfortable because we've not been raised knowing how to do it so we might have the best intentions because we know it's good. And the question is, how do we go about it? 
the key thing is you don't have to be great at it to get the most important message across. And the most important message you can get across is you can talk to me about this mm -hmm. stuff and I will not be cross. That if there's one message you need to get across, it's that. Nothing else really matters because if they, if you're a bit awkward about it, you can just say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not, no one ever talked to me about it. Yeah. So this is something it's okay for us to talk about. I will never be cross. And, you know, porn is just one aspect of good sex ed. But I think with porn, it is really important to get that message across because it's so common for kids to have seen porn and mm. um, by kind of the early secondary school years yeah. on other people's phones or, or hear people talking about it as well. Um, it's just so important to get that message across that you may well see this, you might be curious and find it, you might stumble across it searching for something else, someone might tell you about it, I will never be angry that you've seen it, come and talk to me about it, we can talk about what's real, what's not, how it made you feel, it's it's always okay, and that's that's the most important message really. Yeah. So it's all right if it's awkward. Yeah, I, and even just to say like bodies, the bodies you see in porn, and I think I said something about big willies and, you know, and hair and all that stuff. Like, and as a kid, if you're seeing that, it's just a lot, isn't it? It's a lot to take on. And then if that's your only introduction to bodies and sex, like, and I wonder everyone's a bit screwy, really. There's lots of free porn around that is very problematic and misogynistic mm -hmm. and we shouldn't overlook that. But it's important to note that porn is actually not the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Poor yeah. sex ed is the enemy. Yeah. And without good sex ed, that's free porn is all kids have to learn from. Yeah. yeah. So a bit like the culture of our sex lives is something that it's good to kind of nurture little and often. I would say conversations with sex about kids are also good things to nurture little and often. So, you know, getting good age appropriate books for them, recommending like good websites for them to look at that are around their age range if they're kind of mid to late teens. But just not shying away from conversations about sex in the house, like not giving an impression that sex is a dirty word or something. You know, just yesterday, in fact, my five-year-old was saying something about that the nine-year-old has a book that's by Corey Silverberg called Sex is Not a Funny Word. Okay. And it's a really good book. And um, the five-year-old was going, I want to read that as my bedtime story. <laughs> and I said, well, you can, but it's a little bit old for you. So maybe wait till you're a bit older. And the older one was enjoying being the older one. I was like, yeah, you can't read that till you're at least eight. Yeah. Feeling yeah. really proud of himself. Yeah. And the little one said, well, then it might explain what sex is to me. He said, it might, it might tell me what sex is. And I said, well, I can tell you that. Hey, hang on, this sex is, is my specialist subject. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I said, sex is just a fun thing that people do with their bodies. And when you're a grown-up, you'll enjoy it as well. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's yeah. the end of it. It's a shame-free, sex is okay, let's not shy away from it. It's that little and often. But how powerful to be able to say to your kids, sex is meant to be enjoyable. Like, yeah. and how that was completely missing for lots of us you know for generations yeah. of kids and and it's implicit when we turn the tv over isn't it yeah. you know when our when we were younger if that happened for us it's implicit this is shameful yes you shouldn't be doing it we can't speak of it it's wrong and oh look at all the negative things that can happen if you do this yeah especially for women yeah yeah so you've got two boys and yeah. 
obviously a big career and you're busy helping loads of people and you're a wife you've got all this stuff going on so I suppose just before because we're going to go on to some questions from people but just on this idea of this rush hour and overwhelm is it something that you feel like that overwhelm and how do you feel if you feel that coming oh gosh I mean all the time (laughs) it's part and parcel of all of those balls in the air isn't it yeah I mean I do I I I have that constant thing which I'm sure we all feel where you think I'm not actually doing anything well enough Mm. that's a very common feeling I suppose I I sometimes just kind of every once in a while I'll I'll reevaluate the things I feel overwhelmed about are Sometimes I try and have a bit of a sense check and think, which are the things that are most important right now? Mm -hmm. Because I'll often get overwhelmed with all the different balls I'm juggling. You know, I have an NHS job as well as my private work. And I've got, you know, there's there's different competing priorities even in my work life. So I have to really think about, I've got all of these things to do, but actually will the world stop if I don't do them? And is it important that I get to that parent's reading breakfast tomorrow? And have to accept that I might not feel like I'm doing anything well enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so, yeah, I, think I don't think there's a solution to it other than accepting it's something everyone feels. And then do you try and then take some things out? Is that how you kind of handle it? I think I try and delay them. I try and delay them. I think I've got better kind of over the last kind of 20 years or so that I've been working. I think I've got a lot better at managing the peaks when the peaks are coming so you know I did another TED talk a couple of weeks ago and I had a very short turnaround to it and I knew when I took it on that it was going to be a peak and that everything else I would struggle to manage around it yeah and that's exactly what it was and I think I had to really say to myself this is a peak and it will pass yeah and actually leave that and leave that and leave that and a couple of weeks will be okay and probably you know a decade or so ago or more, I would have got quite stressed and thought, oh, but there's this thing and I'm not doing it and that thing. I think I've got a bit better at delaying things that do feel important and saying, well, it is important, but it can probably wait. Yeah. Yeah, Um, And and managing that and, you know, knowing that I'm in one of those stressy peaks and saying to my partner, you know, please, can you do this and that and take over this, which works really well for me. Yeah. Well, are you okay to move on to a few questions that we've got? Yeah, let's do it. The questions I've got, they were all from women. This lady said, I don't fancy him anymore. He's let himself go and makes no effort. And it bothers me as I feel like I have to uphold some kind of standard and I can't just wear tracky bottoms and grow all my hair. Do I tell him and how? I love this question. This is a really juicy question. And I want us to unpack it a little bit. But physical attraction is important. And we know that it's important at the start of a relationship. And the more physically attractive we are to someone at the start, often the easier it is to maintain over time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important not to dismiss the importance of physical attraction to another person. It does sometimes go away. And we don't get it back. Mm. And I know that's probably not something people want to hear. But the reality is, in a monogamous relationship, sometimes people's feelings for someone change. Mm. And they stop being attracted to them. And when that happens, it can be really difficult to maintain um, an interest sexually. Because um, our sexual desire is often based on 
a kind of premise of finding someone attractive. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I guess I just want to put that out there, that it's an uncomfortable truth that sometimes our attraction to people does change. But for this person, it sounds like their attraction is mediated by their partner's kind of presentation of themselves and that actually they have a strong sense that if their partner were to do things differently slightly, that actually they may feel more attracted Mm -hmm. and that's why they're wondering about saying something. So I feel it's quite important in our sex lives to always be able to be upfront about the things that we might want and need to keep our sex lives good because it's not just benefiting us, it's benefiting both of us Mm -hmm. and it's benefiting the relationship. So honesty is always good. But there are certain things which are a bit harder to talk about and it might be worth couching them in a wider conversation about our relationship and a wider conversation about desire. So I wouldn't advocate saying you've let yourself go and I don't find you attractive anymore. And also if if a woman said mm -hmm. that or a woman or man said that to a woman, I would probably be more defensive of her, if that makes sense. Yeah. I agree. And I also wouldn't advocate for not saying that. And I would say that the other way around as well. So, you know, what we're just saying, if that was a a man saying that to a woman, it's also not helpful to not say that. It might be hard to have these conversations, but actually it is quite important because what are we both there for? Are we both there in this relationship for the long haul? And if we are, then don't we want to know Mm. the things that our partner might find important and it may be that that's not acceptable to us it may be that our partner says I always want you to be really made up and I always want you to wear these clothes and you might go actually that's not going to work for me off you go Mm. that's your choice to make but actually if your partner finds certain things or if, if this person finds certain things work to make her feel more attracted then doesn't he want to know that I suspect he probably will So it's about how to couch it in language that's comfortable. So one of the things you might want to do is I have a free download, which is accessible on my Insta through the link in my bio, which is called Conditions for Good Sex. It's in the book as well. It's a triangle. I would say I was listening to this podcast. It was all about like things that um, are important in our sex life and things that will keep our sex life good. Let's do this thing separately, then come together to discuss it. Mm -hmm. And in the conditions for good sex triangle, she might write something like, I feel uh, really psychologically attracted to you when you're dressed smartly, when you blah, 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 you know, whatever it is for her that matters. And when she expresses that to him, she can say, you know, obviously you're not going to dress like this all the time, but I'd love it if we could like build this in a little bit more. Mm. And it's not just that one thing, it's other things that she's got down as well. But you can you can throw that in there as well and say, this is actually quite important to me. It's quite a political issue, this, and it mm. comes up a lot in sex therapy where people say to me, my partner like used to work out more than they currently do. Right. And I don't currently find their body as attractive as oh, I did so before. It's so loaded, isn't it? It's really hard. It's so loaded, but also like we are also human beings. And yes, we've been socialized to find certain bodies attractive, mm-hmm. but we still find certain things more attractive than others. And that's not something we can easily change. Mm. And so a very kind of considered, careful conversation 
might be important there yeah. and it's it's very difficult to manage but it, i do think it can be done and sometimes honesty is important as long as it's very considerate and thought through well and i suppose in most cases if someone has a low libido and if they're the they're thinking that they're the problem then to read your books really reassuring for the other person to read the book is also really reassuring and also i would add in there's there's another thing here that's sometimes about how someone looks after themselves it's sometimes more than the aesthetic it's sometimes a sense that they're actually not in inverted commas I'm doing here, like letting themselves go. Yeah. And that is about how much they're prioritizing you. Yeah. So sometimes people will say they've let themselves go and they only wear these things. But it's it's not that it's those things they're wearing or the fact they've put on a bit of weight or whatever it might be. It's not that. It's the fact they feel they're not making an effort for them anymore. And yeah. What that signifies. Yeah. Doug has this thing where his hair tips over. It reaches a point where it just looks a bit like an old lady's hair. <laughs> and it really bothers me. And I'll be like, you need to get a haircut. And, it, and, I, yeah. and I get so affronted by it. And he's like, why do you care? But I think I think that that probably is what's going on. I'm like, well, why yeah. do you get away with not having to make an effort? I don't know. Yeah. But it's it feels weird to yeah. say it, I suppose. And there are different standards, aren't there, for people of of different genders around how much you're supposed to make an effort with your appearance. And women are held to these really unreasonable standards around all these types of things. And sometimes it can feel really frustrating if you think someone else is getting away scot-free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All they want you to do is this. Do it. Yeah. Okay, so this next one, I've had a baby, my body feels alien and a bit gross, I'm tired and a bit sad, and we're both freaking out that we haven't had sex in seven months, but it's just awkward now, so we avoid talking about it. I've no idea how to get it back, and I'm scared this is going to end us. I mean, I would be really keenly suggesting that they don't worry about sex right now, but they absolutely must talk about it. Mm. I want them to talk about what it is that they miss when they're not having sex both of them because she's probably missing how she felt before as well yeah how are the ways that they could try and nurture that in the meantime how can they kind of really really connect in terms of emotional intimacy so they feel strong as a couple despite not having sex for a while and the relationship will survive a time without sex as long as the two of you feel like a team Mm. okay i'm just having a look at which one i want to go for next okay when we have sex, it's always good, but getting there is an issue. I've no interest, and if I think he's giving me a look, I actively avoid it, which I know makes him feel rejected. I seem to only remember the good bits of sex just after doing it. How do I improve my sex drive? So this is one we've talked about previously. Yeah, it's basically that a whole conversation has been for this person. Yeah, right? yeah. Low levels of spontaneous desire. Yeah. Responsive desire kicks in really easily when they're getting there, but they've reduced sexual currency because they're worried about it meaning initiation yeah. and not something else yeah so very little triggers to desire afterwards they're like that was really good why don't we do it more often yeah so this is a classic case of understand how desire works increase sexual currency make sure there's no pressure for that currency to lead anywhere know that desire needs to be triggered find times where you can schedule to allow it to be nurtured if you want it to and know that you're not broken okay i've just got one last one about the cheating partner again i think i've seen this play out for people and it's a really difficult one um so the person said my partner cheated and i want to make it work but i just can't do the sex bit the rest of the time we're fine and can ignore what happened but as soon as there's even a hint of anything intimate i pull away and get cross and ruin any moment that could be interpreted as a precursor to sex Mm. 
common one. Um, I suppose what we don't know, and I'd need to know for this person, mm. is what is it that gets in the way? Mm. So it might be that it's feelings of anger and resentment and not wanting to be sexually intimate with them because of those feelings and those things still need processing. Mm. And I don't know how much talking they've done. I don't know whether they've had any couples therapy. I don't know what they've done to try and think about the infidelity and the impact it's had on them, but they may need to do some more of that. Mm. I guess it's also possible that it's thoughts of them with the other person that are coming into their mind. Um, So without knowing exactly what it is that's going on, them it's hard to answer that one but I would say I would recommend here that this person reads if they've not read it already the state of affairs by Esther Perel Mm. so Esther Perel's book about monogamy and infidelity is a really good book here around thinking about processing and understanding infidelity in relationships that were supposed to be monogamous and that might really help them yeah that's awesome. I mean, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's really been great to be here. I've enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much to Karen. I hope you found that all as eye-opening and reassuring as I did. Uh, There are lots of resources and books that Karen mentions, as well as her TEDx talk on desire and another one that was released just recently on the power of orgasms to address gender equality. So the links to all of those things will be in the notes for this episode. Um, And while you're there, that's where you can rate and review us and also subscribe. Um, Obviously, if this has made you think differently about sex or your sex life, get in touch, get in touch on Insta or email podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com. I want to say nothing would make me happy than knowing people are having great sex because of this podcast, but is that weird? No, I think that's okay. Um, (laughs) Sharing is caring. Anyway, also massive thanks to Love Honey for sponsoring this episode. Next week, we have our first man on the podcast, uh, Matthew Frey, talking about how his marriage ended and there are some amazing insights on relationships. It's another big one that personally has led to quite a big impact on Doug and I um, and the conversations we're having and how we're trying to make our relationship work. So until then, um, I hope you have an excellent week. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.